Well, there should be a handout coming around to you tonight. Normally, I just don't get around to making one, but yay, finally I I got around to it, so that's good. Tonight, we're going to be studying angels, as you heard this morning, if you were there. And, uh, you know, I want to do something a little differently than what we normally do. Normally, we take a a passage of Scripture, right, and and we break it down and go verse by verse through it and explain what it means, And, and I think that's the majority of the time, what, what preaching should look like, and we draw out application and things like that. And yet, there's times where it's helpful for us to consider a topic, because the Bible isn't arranged um, in a topical manner. There is no book of the Holy Spirit. Of course, there's the book of Acts, which mentions the Holy Spirit a lot, but that's not what I'm talking about. I mean, God has not foreordained that each book of the Bible would be about a different topic, so that there's a book of Jesus Christ and a book about salvation and all these different categories of theology. So it becomes helpful for us at times to kind of gather scripture together and see what uh, the whole counsel of God is um, as far as a particular topic is concerned, because you get a bit of information at one verse and and a bit um, elsewhere. And and in fact, that's what pastor's been doing um, as we've been studying life after death um, in his particular series. Tonight, I just wanted to talk about angels. I can't really say why, just that Um, It was a particular subject of interest to me. And so you have a a handout with you tonight, and hopefully you brought a pen or a pencil. If not, you know, kind of swipe one from somebody next to you, you know, or break theirs in half and then use the other half or whatever. Whatever you got to do, this will be a new thing. Hopefully it'll keep your attention and you won't be annoyed by the end of uh, writing all these things down. Hopefully it'll engage your mind a little bit, right? Um, And obviously, I'll, I'll just warn you, there isn't enough time in one particular message to cover everything that there is on the subject of angels. In fact, I think it wasn't too long ago that uh, Brother Peter Fessler did a a Sunday school class, I think, a whole series on that very topic. So you can see that books and books can be written on this kind of thing. Hours upon hours could be spent on it. We'll just get a general overview, and hopefully that'll be of some value to you tonight. Um, You might say, well, this is kind of a boring area of theology, but But theology has many practical applications, especially in this area. Um, You know, I've often heard people say, not here in this church, but elsewhere, for example, that when a loved one dies, they become an angel. Again, not something I hear in this circle, but I've heard people say it before, just in different funerals where there are different people gathered and things like that. And of course, that's not true. That's not what the Bible says about what happens when we die. I hope you've learned that from what pastor has been teaching on a Sunday night. But that's one area, one example where proper theology uh, leads to very important application. When a loved one dies, um, you know, how do you think of of where they are, what happens after death, that kind of thing? And an improper theology will lead lead you to the wrong conclusions. So it's important and and it hopefully will be encouraging to you, not just intellectually, uh, but something that that affects your heart as well as we think of all the miraculous, amazing beings that God, I shouldn't say miraculous, but the amazing beings that God has created um, in in this world. Uh, So. Would you believe, uh, as we're starting here, or we're going to come to our first blank, that the, uh, the study of angels actually has a formal title. It's called angelology. It sounds rather, rather uh, obvious, but uh, that word comes from two Greek terms, angelos, which, is, uh, which means messenger, okay, that's your first blank, or uh, angel, uh, and logos means word. So you have angelos meaning me- messenger and logos meaning word, so a word about angels, basically. 
That's what the, the topic means. And it covers several different subtopics underneath that, like the origins of angels. Where do they come from? Uh, their existence, their nature, who they are, uh, the classifications and the different types of angels, uh, the service and work of angels. What is it that they do exactly? Um, as well as the existence, the activity and the, the judgment of Satan and, and demons as fallen or, fallen or wicked angels. So that's how we'll work through this topic tonight, by covering these different aspects of angelology, one at a time. So let's start with the nature of angels. Who are they? Okay. As we think of this topic, what are they like? Um, are they deceased people? Are they supermen? What are they in the Bible? Well, here's your definition. And it's written there for you in bold. An angel is a spirit being, a spirit being, Created by God and uh, commissioned by him for some special purpose in accordance with the outworking of his plan. By the way, if you miss one of these, that's fine. You can go and whisper to your neighbor. That's fine. I won't think of you as interrupting. That's okay. Um, But it's a spirit being created by God, commissioned by him for some special purpose in accordance with his plan. For example, Colossians 1.16 says, for by him, that's God. All things were created, both in the heavens and in the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. And that word dominions or, or rulers or authorities often is thought of as referring to angels, things higher than us, not just people sitting on a throne somewhere on this earth, but higher authorities. OK, um, also Hebrews 1:14 says, are they not all ministering spirits sent out to render service For the sake of those who inherit salvation. So there it is showing you where we get the idea that they are spirits. Angels have enormous, though, limited uh, power and knowledge. Okay, so they do have power. Uh, Obviously, you think of the example of Sodom and Gomorrah. They were able to call down fire from from heaven. Um, So they have power, but yet they're limited in their power only to what God allows them to do. And that's consistent with what uh, Satan can do as well. We see in Job that he has the power to inflict terrible suffering upon him, but again, only because God allows it. So angels are powerful, but limited. And they are referred to as messengers in both the Old and New Testament. And as such, they carry out the work of God. In fact, that's what the word angelos means, um, the word for angel. And sometimes it's difficult to know in the Bible if that word should be translated as messenger or as an angel, for example, there's a, a controversial passage uh, towards the end. I can't remember what book it's found in, but but where it says, um, you know, some people have, uh, without even realizing it, entertained angels unawares. OK, and so some wonder, is that passage referring to, hey, without you even knowing it, when you welcome a stranger into your home, that could be an angel, maybe. Or sometimes uh, you know, people think that might just be the regular word for messenger. See, the word can be translated as both. So we don't we don't know in some circumstances, but in a lot of cases, we can tell when it says that word in in Hebrew or Greek, we're referring to angels, formal angels that we know of as heavenly beings. But but they basically mean messenger. And and because of that, we know what their basic function is to be messengers to God's people. And you see that time and time again in the Old Testament. I say that because uh, there is this idea, this notion that. Angels might just be forces in the universe, but it's important for you to know that they're not just forces like like the force in Star Wars or something. They are persons. OK, they have a will. They have a desire. They have emotions. They have feelings. They can talk. You know, the difference being that a force is not really have have all those qualities that a person might. OK, doesn't have a will, doesn't have a desire. 
uh, kind of like the uh, um, some ideas of like karma or, or something like that. It's not really a being that's called karma. It's just this, this uncaring force in the universe. Right. Um, that we don't believe that about angels. Angels do have wills. They have desires. They have uh, intentions and purposes. OK. And we know that um, because they think uh, in first Peter one verse twelve, it says uh, they were shown that they were serving not just themselves, but you in regard uh, to the things now announced to you through those who proclaim the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Things that angels long to take a glimpse of. Okay, so if there are things that angels long to see, that means they have a desire. Okay, well, they also feel Luke two thirteen says suddenly a vast heavenly army ap- appeared with the angel praising God and saying. That might sound familiar to you. That's the Christmas story, right? And, and so they're praising God in that particular passage that we know so well. So we know they have emotions. They can rejoice. They can celebrate. Um, they can choose. Uh, Jude 6 says that you'll know also that the angels who did not keep their proper domain but abandoned their own place of residence. Okay, that's referring to fallen angels. Um, they chose to, to disobey. I don't believe any of these verses are listed, just in case you're searching. I'm, I'm referencing some that aren't on your sheet here. Um, but those are angels that chose something. So they are beings and they are of a higher order. I believe this might be something you have to circle. Yes. In bold. Are they are higher or lower? Nope. The answer is higher. They are a higher order than man. Psalm eight, four through five explains. It says, what is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him? You have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. So that's important to know. As we talk about angels, it means we should treat them with respect um, because they are actually a higher order than us. They are a higher heavenly being than mankind is. Okay, but they are lower. They are inferior to Christ. Hebrews one five, which I have listed for you there, it says for to which of the angels Did God ever say, you are my son, today I've become your father. Or again, I will be his father and he will be my son. Okay, so, um, you know, it's it's saying they are higher than us, but yet Christ is superior to them. And that's important because it means Christ is superior to Satan. They're not one for one. Okay, and there are some circles that believe that Christ is just an exalted angel. Um, Some branches, cults of Christianity that would teach that kind of thing. That's not true. If it were so, then, you know, Satan and Jesus would be duking it out. Okay, but that's that's not the case. Christ is superior to angels. Next question I have for you. Do do angels have kids? No, no, they don't. Uh, Apparently, they're unable to marry or have children. Matthew 22, 30 says at the resurrection, people will neither marry nor be given in marriage. They will be like the angels in heaven. So apparently uh, marriage is not something that continues on. In the new heavens and the new earth. And it says we're like the angels in that regard. And so they don't have offspring. In the Old Testament, angels are referred to as. Okay, here's your blank. The heavenly host is number one. Sons of God. And holy ones. Heavenly host. Sons of God. And holy ones. And you see the accompanying scriptures along with that. The first expression, heavenly host, relates to. Their innumerable number of uh, power and, and, and their might to defend God's people as an army. Okay, heavenly host. Uh, it, it sometimes is actually translated, depending on which uh, translation you have, as army. Heavenly army. That's the idea. Um, sons of God. 
highlights their close relationship to God, their godlike qualities and their capacity to function before him. And the third expression, holy ones, underscores their moral character, their pureness, how they uh, surround him and proclaim holy, holy, holy. Okay, you see that time and time again, whether it be in Isaiah or Ezekiel or Revelation, you get this picture of angels doing just that, uh, proclaiming God's holiness. And so that explains some of these names. Now, as to uh, page two, classification of angels. Are there different types of, of angels? You know, sometimes uh, we think of angels, we just think of one type, right? Uh, if I say, you know, what do you, what do you think of when you picture an angel? You might picture this guy or girl or whatever, long flowing blonde hair uh, in a white robe, glowing, maybe a halo on their head, wings, you know, the whole thing. As we see them pictured in artwork, unfortunately, that's that's not really the case. As far as we can tell, um, you know, at least in the Old Testament, whenever these individuals appeared, they didn't have halos over their heads. Uh, in fact, a lot of times the patriarchs didn't even realize who they were talking to. They just called them men because that's what they look like. They just look like men. Um, so they don't have wings. There was no giant wings on their back to kind of give them away. Say, why, why do you have wings on your back? Nope. <laughs> they never said that because it wasn't that wasn't the case. Um, in fact, the idea of wings comes from a different category of of angels that we'll talk about in just a moment. But ordinary angels like we think of the messenger angels look like people. Um, and in some cases they wore white. We see that in Jesus's resurrection where there's somebody uh, guarding the tomb and who actually rolled away the stone. OK, or sitting on the stone, I think it is. Uh, it says they're wearing white. So that's at least somewhat accurate when we see that in drawings. But all this other extra stuff, the halos and the the wings, uh, not true. But there's actually more than just one type. So we just kind of picture one kind of angel, right? And say, that's what angels look like. Well, actually, if we were to go into the scripture, we find there's many types of angels. And that's just one. Um, And so I want to break it down for you a little bit. Um, First of all, Michael uh, is referred to as an archangel. 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 and he's also referred to as a prince, a prince. Okay, and those are two blanks right there. Michael's referred to as an archangel, and he's also referred to as a prince. And we could go to passages such as Jude 9, where it says, but even the archangel Michael, when he was disputing with the devil about the body of Moses, I referenced that a little bit in Sunday school this morning, if you were there for that. Uh, but that's where he's called archangel. Um, and that's a designation not received by any other angel. Okay, we don't know if there are multiple archangels. But it doesn't seem that there are. Michael's the only guy who's called that. And he's called that in different places. And again, he's called prince in, in another particular passage. Daniel 12:1 says at that time, Michael, the great prince who protects your people will arise. So for whatever this means, it just seems there's a hierarchy um, among angels. And Michael is the head uh, angel. In fact, this has led to some of the confusion um, where I think it might be if um, and somebody correct me if I'm wrong on this. I think it's Jehovah's Witnesses who kind of associate Michael with Jesus. When I said that sometimes people picture Jesus as this grand angel, um, Michael is referenced in the book of Revelation, almost in like some Christ like terms. But but we see he is a distinct character. He is not Jesus Christ. He is not the son of God. He is somebody entirely distinct. And that's where the confusion comes in. Um, but he, but he is referenced and he's the one who fights this. This uh, this this war with the heavenly host behind him against the dragon, Satan, at the end of time. OK, so so get that straight. He is not Jesus Christ. They're not the same person. However, he is the archangel. He is above the others. And for whatever else that means, we don't know. It doesn't explain how that that hierarchy works, just that he has that title. 
Um, as far as uh, other categories go, um, well, let me just say about this. I haven't put this on your paper, but there's some debate over this idea of guardian angels. Have you ever heard of anybody talk about that? You know, that you and I have a, of a guardian angel. Uh, sometimes you find little, you know, in Christian bookstores, guardian angel pins, you know. And, and I came from a background where some of that was talked about, you know, speculation about, well, maybe we each have a guardian angel. Um, that, that kind of teaching, I, I think it's incorrect teaching, comes from um, an obscure verse, Matthew 18.10. It says, see that you do not disdain one of these little ones, referring to children. For I tell you that their angels in heaven always see the face of my father in heaven. And that's all we have. That's pretty much where this notion of guardian angels has come from. But I think it's a mis- misapplication of that particular verse. Uh, that could just mean in general that angels watch over humans in general. Okay. And, and we know that to be true from other passages of Scripture where we see uh, the heavenly host kind of coming in and, and assisting in battle or messenger angels coming to Joshua and kind of informing him uh, what what God's will is. We see that angels have this this function of being messengers, kind of being assistants to God's people anyway. So I don't know that this verse is saying much more than that. To say that each of us has one particular angel that's watching over us, I think is a bit of a stretch. So, no, I, I don't think we can say that. However, we can say in a general sense that that angels do um, care about the things that are going on here on earth and that God has foreordained angels to watch over us in a general sense to assist us at times. Um, and we see that's true also with Jesus when he was tempted. Angels came to minister to him. But again, that's far different than saying each of us has a guardian angel, which I don't believe is true. Let's keep going with these categorizations. Uh, we also have seraphim. That is spelled S-E-R-A-P-H-I-M. Seraphim. Mentioned in Isaiah chapter 6. This is another designation. So we said there are categories. One is archangel. Another one is seraphim. Isaiah 6. Above him were seraphs, each with six wings. So this is where the wing idea comes in. With two wings, they covered their faces. With two, they covered their feet. And with two, they were flying. And they called out to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord who commands armies. His majestic splendor fills the entire earth. And the sound of their voices shook the door frames. And the temple was filled with smoke. So here is another designation that we find in Scripture. Unfortunately, this is the only place where they're mentioned in Scripture. If you were to do a Bible search for the word seraphim, you would only find it here in Isaiah 6 and maybe one mentioned in chapter 7. But again, all the same passage. That's it. So unfortunately, be, besides this, we don't really know much about them. The term itself means burning ones. Um, and, and actually, in Isaiah 6, this is where an angel comes to Isaiah in this vision and touches a burning coal to his lips and says, your sin has, has been forgiven. You know, so he's now free to, to be God's messenger. That might be related to, to their naming that they're called burning ones. But it also might allude to their brightness or their holiness. Um, and it's interesting that it says they hid their feet and their faces uh, with these wings of theirs uh, because of the brightness of the Holy One of Israel, because of the brightness of God. Um, in any case, it seems that they are uh, involved with the worship of God in some way, that they um, you know, are, are concerned about God's holiness, that they worship God on His throne singing, Holy, Holy, Holy. And that is their sole function. They're not messengers. We don't see seraphim come to earth and talk to these you know, people or the, the patriarchs. Their sole job is to worship God around his throne day and night. 
Here's another category we have. Another type of angels is the cherubim. Spelled C-H-E-R-U-B-I-M. Cherubim. And they're mentioned numerous times in the Old Testament and also once in the New Testament. Uh, Hebrews 9.5 says above the ark were the cherubim of the glory overshadowing the atonement cover. And, and that's a reference to the Ark of the Covenant. Um, there were these model cherubim patterned after the things that are truly in heaven. These angels that were carved or I'm sorry, um, you know, kind of formed, shaped on, on top of the lid of the Ark of the Covenant with their wings pointed towards each other. And um, and they seem to also be connected with uh, protecting God's holiness and, and access to him in relationship And so thus we'll see more references about cherubim than we saw in seraphim. Cherubim are the ones that are stationed at the Garden of Eden, um, making it impossible for man to return to the garden once the fall has occurred. Remember, there's a reference to this cherubim standing there with and there's this flaming sword okay, guarding the entrance to the Garden of Eden after they have they've been kicked out. That's where they appear. So they're concerned with God's holiness. They're concerned with keeping this relationship of holiness intact or keeping God's holiness intact. Um, They um, are also mentioned in Exodus 25. Uh, Again, a reference to the Ark of the Covenant. Make two cherubim out of hammered gold in the ends of the cover. Again, associated with God's holiness, because after all, the the Ark of the Covenant was placed in the tabernacle, the holiest of holy places, uh, standing for God's throne room. Ezekiel chapter one, they're mentioned there. It says uh, that Ezekiel saw these four living beings and in their appearance. They had human form, but each had four faces and four wings. Their legs were straight, but the soles of their feet were like calves feet. And it goes on to describe these very odd, very different looking beings that had four different faces of different animals. And they have four wings and and things like that. And and that's led some people to wonder, are they the same as seraphim? Because seraphim also also have these multiple wings and these different faces. Fascinating just to think about these real beings that exist right now, even as we are studying the scripture tonight, worshiping God this moment, singing holy, holy, holy around his throne. It's how they're described. So it seems that that is their their function. OK, um, Revelation four is also um, a, a reference to them. Uh, chapter four, verse eight. Each one of the four living creatures had six wings and was full of eyes all around and inside. They never rest day or night saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord, our God, and all powerful who was and is and is to come. Um, now, after all that, of course, we have um, the, the standard category, if I could call it that, of angels called messengers. I don't, I don't have that listed there for you, but if you want to just. Write that in below the rest of this. We have messenger angels, okay, that appear to human beings and deliver messages from God. Those are the ones like Gabriel or the angel that came to Lot's house or to Joshua. You get the idea. They're the most mentioned type in Scripture. Let's move on to the service of angels. Uh, Now that we know the different types, what do they do? What is their purpose? Why did God make them? Well, it's impossible to describe all the services that angels provide in this short period of time tonight. Um, but we could say in general, they're connected with salvation, with judgment, with God's providential control of human, human history. And in, and in terms of salvation, uh, angels even played a role in the, in the coming, the, the death and the, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Okay. So in first, in, in relation to Jesus, the angel Gabriel, Gabriel's your blank there, delivered the message to Mary that she was going to have the Christ child. Um, 
And angels also announced Christ's birth to the shepherds, the shepherds. Luke 2 says, suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest. Uh, They also ministered to Christ when he was tempted in the wilderness and they strengthened him in the Gethsemane trials. Um, They were also ready at his command to fight for him. Uh, He says, Jesus says in Matthew 26, do you not think I cannot call on my father? And he would at once send more than 12 legions of angels. Um, And further, they rolled away the stone at the tomb and proclaimed his resurrection in Matthew 28. So you see that Jesus, uh, there's a lot of references to Jesus and to angels. They had a big part in his entire life, his ministry, his death, his resurrection, all of those things. What about believers? Uh, The uh, writer of Hebrews summarizes the role of angels in Hebrews 1.14, which we already mentioned tonight. Are not angels ministering spirits sent to help those who inherit salvation? And so as such, it seems they're vitally interested and involved in our own spiritual growth and the mission that we have in taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. They will, when God desires, encourage us and even rescue us from physical dangers so that we can continue God's work of preaching the gospel. Uh, here's an example of that. Acts 12, verse 7 says, suddenly an angel uh, of the Lord appeared uh, and a light shone in the cell as Peter woke up. Um, the angel said, quick, get up. And, and he said, uh, and, and the chains fell off of Peter's wrists. Um, yeah, so ministering spirits. Sorry, I'm getting ahead of myself for the for the blanks. I hope you put that in. Angels are ministering spirits. Um, so they helped out uh, the apostles in cases like that. I'm not saying that's what angels continue to do. We do have a word from Hebrews in chapter one where it says in previous times, God had spoken to you know, his people in various ways. But in these days, he has spoken to us through his son. So on the whole, I would expect that we wouldn't be visited by an angel anytime soon. If we were to take Hebrews one in that particular light, then we might say that nowadays God has chosen to speak to us through Jesus Christ and through his word. Um, but then again, um, even after those words were being spoken, even during that same time, angels were the ones who appeared to Paul and appeared to Peter to rescue them from prison. So if you were to ask me the question tonight, do you think angels still appear to people today? I would say I'm going to take the role of a politician and not answer that question. (laughs) I don't know. I don't know. Hebrews one might suggest that maybe not. But am I willing to die for that answer and say, no, absolutely not. And angels don't appear to people or won't ever again. I don't know about that. Um, I don't know about that. Jury's still out. If you have thoughts on that, you can talk to me afterwards. I'd love to hear your thoughts. Um, But for me, I I haven't decided. Um, So these angels, um, you know, uh, do a lot for us as believers. They certainly help us. They uh, came to give instructions to patriarchs in times past. Um, Philip was commissioned by an angel to go meet the Ethiopian eunuch in the desert road so that that man could be saved. That's found in Acts chapter eight, verse twenty six. It says, now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. Uh, angels are also involved in caring for believers when they die. Something we don't often think about. But uh, listen to this. It's also listed for you. Luke 16, verse 22. The time came when the beggar died and the angels carried to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and he was buried. Now, in context, that is a parable that Jesus is telling. 
But I would expect that as Jesus is telling a parable, he wouldn't go and make up things about heaven that aren't true. So at least at the very least, we could say from Luke 16, 22, that angels have a role in our death, um, in our in our, you know, uh, the, the transition from us dying to our soul being with Christ. What exactly that is, I don't know. All I have is Luke 16, 22. And uh, I, I'm sure that when we get when we get to heaven, we'll know exactly how that all works. In relation to unbelievers, let's move on to that next section. Uh, angels are also used by the Lord in judgment of unbelievers. They were the ones who destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, Sodom and Gomorrah, because of their wickedness. Um, angels will also have a role in the future judgment and the return of Christ. Um, also, we have examples like Acts 12, where it says an angel of the Lord struck Herod down because he did not give glory to God and he was eaten by worms and died. Not a very pretty picture, but angels had a role in that. Um, and angels are connected with the trumpet bowl judgments in, in Revelation chapter eight and chapter nine. See, there are many more references to angels than we often think. Um, and, and yet they're involved in so many ways. They have a lot more functions just, than just coming and, and delivering a message. Uh, God has ordained many purposes uh, for them. And, uh, and that's pretty neat to, to reflect on. Um, what, what about fallen angels? Okay, as we're running out of time here, I'll try and summarize what I can. And at this point, as I was making the handout, I thought maybe you might be getting a little tired of this writing in the blanks thing. I'm going to give you a, uh, a rest from that. Now everything's filled out for you so you can rest your hand. Okay, um, fallen angels. Uh, the term Satan uh, means accuser or adversary. Let's talk about Satan first, because he is the head uh, fallen angel, if we could call him that. Um, in Hebrew, that's what Satan means. Uh, New Testament writers simply brought that name over to Greek without any change. So the word Satan is Satan in, uh, you know, in Greek. It's the same same word. It's not translated in any particular way. It's just using the same letters in, in a new language. Um, Satan is a fallen, wicked angel, perhaps a cherub. When we talked about cherubim, some people have said, well, maybe he was one of those uh, that was stationed um, you know, in close, close to God. We don't we don't really know um, because of what Ezekiel 28 says. Um, some have speculated a little bit. We don't really know what his categorization was. But Ezekiel 28, which I have listed for you, may refer to Satan. May. Um, again, this is something commentators d- debate on and I haven't fully decided myself. But listen to this description and, and, and you see uh, what you think. It says you were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone adorned you. Ruby, topaz and emerald, chrysolite, onyx and jasper, sapphire, turquoise and beryl. Your settings and mountings were made of gold. And on the day that you were created, they were prepared. You were anointed as a guardian cherub. And that's where the idea comes. And some people say, well, maybe it was one of the cherubim. For so I ordained you. You were on the holy mount of God. You walked among the fiery stones. You were blameless in your ways from the day that you were created till wickedness was found in you. Through your widespread trade, you were filled with violence and you sinned. So I drove you in disgrace from the mount of God and I expelled you, O guardian cherub, from among the fiery stones. Now, does that refer to Satan? Maybe, maybe not. As you read this, as I've quoted it for you, and I've kind of been a little selective in the way that I've quoted you. As you look at it, it almost seems like it is right but if you were to go back, okay, I didn't, I didn't really quote the whole chapter for you. If you were to go back a few verses before verse 13, it says pretty clearly, O king of Tyre, king of Tyre. 
And, and there's a lot of prophecies in Ezekiel uh, against certain nations, against certain kings. And it says, O king of Tyre. So people said, no, it's not really a prophecy about Satan. It's really just talking about this king of Tyre. And as you read this, you say, OK, I could see how maybe that applies to an ancient king as well. I don't have time to get into it except to say, um, and if you're in my Isaiah class, you may have heard of some of this before. Sometimes it would be possible maybe for this to refer to Satan, because sometimes God has prophecy that has a fuller meaning. That there's an immediate meaning to a prophecy and then there's a fuller meaning. For example, in Isaiah, when it says that there's going to be a son named Emmanuel that's born to a virgin. Uh, in my class, I talked about how there was a specific child that was born in Isaiah's day that that prophecy immediately refers to. And yet it also refers to a future Emmanuel that fulfills that promise in an even greater way. So there's this kind of double fulfillment, whether that's going on here with the king of Tyre and say, I don't know. But I'll stop right there because I don't have time to get into any more of it. I'll just leave that for you. Satan is a real being, however. He's got emotions. He's not just a force. Again, we see that in chapter three of Genesis. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord had made. And, and he said to the woman, and this is Satan again, um, in the appearance of a, a serpent. He says, did God really say you must not eat from the tree in the garden? So you see, as a will, he has a desire. He's trying to deceive uh, do all these things. Revelation twelve seventeen. This is also a reference to Satan. The dragon was enraged with the woman and went off to make war with the rest of her children. You can see he gets angry. Okay. Again, not just a emotionless force floating around somewhere. He is a real person. And this is this is important, by the way. You, you ask, well, why are we getting into all this? Um, I just saw on CNN this past week, there was an article on uh, Justice Scalia from the Supreme Court. And, and I think the title of the article was something about how crazy it was that uh, this Supreme Court justice believes in a personal Satan. And that's what the whole article is about. And it was like front page stuff on CNN.com about how ridiculous this is that one of our governmental leaders, somebody in the justice system, could actually believe in Satan. So this is real stuff. This is stuff that matters today. If you say you believe in Satan, just, you know, in in a a gathering of people who aren't Christians, just see what the reaction is. People give you the strangest reaction. If you say you believe in God, well, that's totally fine. You know, people won't make fun of you for that. But, but if you say you believe in Satan, now all of a sudden you're, you're a weirdo. Okay. But think of it. If if you believe in, in Jesus Christ, if you believe that Jesus is a real person, he talked about Satan a great deal, referenced it uh, over and over again. Satan is mentioned. And I believe almost every New Testament book and many Old Testament books as well. So if you're going to accept one thing, you're going to accept the other. And in my thinking, if you accept the idea of a God and a spirit realm, why would it be such a stretch to imagine that there is a Satan? It doesn't make logical sense to me that how people uh, can accept the idea of God, but not the other. It's another topic. But but Satan, of course, is real, just a, a very real being. And Jesus declared it to be so not a not a personification of evil. That he's somehow a metaphor for all the bad things we do. No, he is a real person. And Satan one day will be judged. Revelation 20, verse 10. Now, this is something I found interesting as I was researching these names. There are several other names for Satan that include the devil. We know that one. Beelzebub, Belial, the god of this age, the prince of this world, the evil one, thief, the tempter. And if you flip over, uh, a murderer. Um, the father of lies, an imposter masquerading as an angel of light, a dragon and a roaring lion. All, all terrible 
um, pictures. Um, and this is where, after you know, thinking about all these different names for Satan, it can kind of terrify me a little bit. Because again, they are, angels are beings that are of a higher order than us. Um, and, and this is kind of where um, A Mighty Fortress Is Our God comes into play. It's one of my favorite hymns. And, and it's, it's that way for me because it's one of the few um, hymns that references Satan, but does so in a very profound way. It says his, um, you know, on earth is not his equal, is what Martin Luther said when he wrote that particular hymn. But yet, it says in the very next verse, uh, one little word shall fell him, meaning that it's not going to take much for Jesus Christ to defeat Satan. So that kind of puts him in perspective for us. We shouldn't talk lightly of Satan because, after all, he is powerful. He's more powerful than any of us in this room. But yet we can entrust to God the fact that against him, it is no contest. When you get to the end of of Revelation, it's not this Jesus versus Satan thing. And, you know, one gets a blow and the other gets another blow in. And it's you're kind of biting your nails, wondering who's going to win. No, it says in chapter 20 that all of of. The enemies of God surround the camp of God and and intend to make war with them and destroy them. And then, boom, just like that, fire drops down out of heaven and they're done. It's not even a a war. It's not even a battle. It's just it's over. And and so we should remember that even as we consider these terrifying uh, names for Satan helps us to remember that even though he's uh, powerful, God will defeat him. But yet, on the other hand, I think one application you can take away from it is that we should be on guard. That's why it says we should take up the armor of God, because our wars are not against flesh and blood, but against the principalities and and the evil forces of of this world. I believe I'm out of time, so I don't have any more time to get into demons as fallen angels. I figure that might happen. But as you think of this, I just want you to consider as we walk out of this room, you know, what does this have? What effect does this have on my life? Um, just consider the spirit realm. You know, it's so easy to be concerned about the things of this world, what's around us, that we forget. There's a whole other realm that we can't see that is real, that exists. That right now at this moment, there are angels singing around the throne of God, singing holy, holy, holy. And that one day we'll join them. You know, they were singing at Jesus' birth. And when we sing, I like to think of it as we're joining in that heavenly chorus. It's kind of neat. And when we think of that passage about, uh, you know, how uh, we're no longer going to be given in marriage, uh, we'll be like the angels of heaven. On one hand, I get depressed about that because, like, I'd love to be married to Sarah forever in heaven for all time. It's hard for me to imagine that not being true. But on the other hand, if we want to make a, a positive light out of that, it's, it's that we will be like the angels, not that we will become angels. We don't become angels, but we will be like them. We will worship God and, and encircle God's throne room and sing holy, holy, holy along with them. And that's a pretty neat thought. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you uh, just for what you have revealed in your word about uh, heavenly beings, uh, these angels. Thank you for the way in which they minister even to us and have ministered to God people, God's people in the past. Uh, God, help us to remember even as we consider fallen angels, demons, uh, Satan, that our war is not against flesh and blood, but against one who rages against us and desires to see your kingdom um, delayed, your kingdom thwarted. Of course, God, we know that his uh, plans will ultimately not come to fruition. You have already won the battle at the death of, of Christ and, and the resurrection. You have defeated him. And uh, we eagerly await that day when that final judgment will come about. Until then, God, help us to be faithful in withstanding the devil's schemes to resist temptation 
uh, to recognize that you are greater, greater than any of these, and that through the power that is available to us through the Holy Spirit and through the power of Jesus Christ, that we can overcome. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.